Has the world gone crazy? Life is difficult. When you need help, where do you turn? Welcome to Christian Impact, impacting your life with spiritual truth. I am Dr. Kelly Blanton, and I'm sharing practical truths in the Bible that can truly change your life. Today is March 8th, 2023. We continue our series, Words for Life, and our word for today is receiving. Are you prepared to receive today? I am. So let's go ahead and jump in and get started. So have you ever heard the statement, if I'm good, I'll be okay? Especially when we're talking about the Lord, you ask someone, you think you're good going to heaven? And they go, oh, if I'm good, I'll, I'm okay. But do we understand eternal destiny? Because if we don't understand eternal destiny, then we really can't answer that question. What does it mean I'm good. Or am I just talking a bunch of religious jargon that doesn't make any sense? You see, one of the most misunderstood Christian doctrines is the idea that acceptance in the eyes of God and our eternal destiny have to do with being a good person. See, God gives us a promise. And our response is belief by faith, followed by the responsibility of putting that faith into action. And that's where we're going to go today. So let's open with some prayer. Father, I just pray that you would open our eyes and teach us today. Help us to receive what you have for us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So receiving, receiving from the Lord. Do you want to receive an eternal destiny? You know, when I think about destiny, I get excited. I want to receive a destiny. But again, so many people misunderstand that with the concept of being a good person. So let's begin with our scripture, Genesis 12, 1 through 9. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were there in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord, 
who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abraham journeyed, going on still toward the south. Now this passage that takes place in Genesis is known as the great call of Abraham when God calls to Abraham and places destiny before him. You know, according to Joshua 24:23 it says that in the days of old when Abraham and his father Terry lived beyond the river they worshiped other gods it's Joshua 24:23 and this is interesting because you know Abraham was not chosen by God because of his wealth he wasn't chosen because of his connections or his reputation He wasn't chosen because of his good works. I mean, he was living in a pagan land and he and his father were worshiping pagan gods. And God chose him for no other other reason than his willingness to respond in faith to his call. In other words, God came to Abraham because he knew Abraham had a faith and a willingness to respond. That's what got God's attention. And his call, I want to look at four parts of this call. He he first had to leave. He had to leave everything that he knew. He couldn't continue being in such a dark world. He had to leave that behind. And then God said he was going to make him a great nation, a great people. You know, God wants to make us into something more than what we are. Let me say that again. God wants to make us something more than what we are. Now, I know there are some really ultra-conservatives. They may think that I'm, you know, not really presenting a gospel message very well by saying that. I'm not giving a prosperity message here. God wants to make you more. You see, we, we, we were... Lost as sinners in darkness. Well, God wants to make us more than that. He wants to transfer us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He wants to make us saints. Yes, we were sinners, but he's going to make us saints. He wants to make us into something better. Where I am dirty, he wants to make me clean. Where I am addicted, he wants to set me free. Where I'm in bondage, he wants to set me free. Where I am lowly, he wants to lift me up. See, he wants to change me for the better. And for Abraham, he said, I'm going to make you a great people, a great nation. Where Abraham was living, he was not a great people or a great nation. He had no influence, no connections. See, God again, God didn't choose him for his wealth or his connections. He did not have that there. God said, you're not this, so I will make you something. And obviously, he had no reputation, but because God chose him, His reputation has been known for thousands of years. He had no connections, yet the Jewish people and even the Muslim people want to be connected to him, even to this day. And though he was poor, by the end of Abraham's life, he was fairly wealthy. Again, I'm not doing a prosperity message, but God changed him from something he was not into something better. And then God calls him to be a blessing. He's going to be a blessing to the families 
of the world. And then he said, the people will bless you and I'll bless them. And, and then there is a fourth part, a curse. That he will curse those who curse Abraham. Now, I put these last blessings and cursings. So I'm looking at four things. He leaves. God's going to make him into something great. The blessing and the curse. The blessing and curse goes together. And what I want us to understand is that when God says he's going to bless him so that he can bless all the families of the nation, what we often misunderstand is we think that God is going to choose him and now he can say, I'm something special. See, this is what happened to a lot, many of the Jewish people and the Hebrew people is that they began to cling to the idea that we're the chosen ones. We're someone special. And they, and they claim that to themselves. It became something that made them exclusive. It's like exclusivity. But see, blessing is not called to exclusivity. Blessing is called, is called us and called Abraham to be instrumental or instrumentality. Now, I, I'm a musician. I, I have instruments, guitars, mandolins. Uh, you know, I love, I love music. I play instruments. And, so this word instrumentally it makes it makes sense to me, and and what do I mean by that? Well, you know, I look I look at my instrument. I look over here at, at my guitar, and and you know I can say, man, it's beautiful. Look at it. it's so special. It's it's it, this is mine and it's wonderful. And I like to say it's one of a kind, but I I I just have a guitar and it's nothing special. There's lots of them out there like that. It's not a one of a kind, but to me it might as well be one of a kind. But I understand what I'm saying. But that instrument, just sitting there on its hanger, doesn't do anything. It's not a blessing. But when I put it in my hands and I play it, now it's a blessing. It's a blessing to my ears. And you know what, though? If I just play it just for me, I mean, I'm blessed, but I'm more blessed when I play it for others. I play on the worship team. I play for others. I worship God. I play for others. And suddenly that blessing, that instrument, it blesses others. It doesn't, it doesn't bless me or anyone else sitting in the corner. You see, when God's called Abraham that he's going to bless him, so he can be a blessing to the families of the earth, what it means is that Abraham becomes an instrument. As he does what God's called him to do, he's an instrument that is played by God that blesses everybody. And because everyone's getting blessed, Abraham is blessed. But there's also a curse that goes with it, and that curse is those who curse you, I curse. And we have to understand, this, this is about how, how, how would you curse Abraham? Well, you curse him when you stand in opposition to God's plan. When you, when you stand in opposition to God's plan, suddenly a curse happens. It's, it's an opposite of the blessing. And, and we see this. I mean, if you study Genesis, you study Abraham's life, you, you see this. Abraham, uh, twice, he goes into an area. He's afraid of the people there. And, you know, just a quick history thing. Uh, he's moving into the land of Canaan. And this is, you might as well call this Nephilim Central. These are, these are the descendants of giants. That's why God later in the Exodus tells him to wipe them all out. These are not normal people living there. 
they're 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 part of these these nephilim these things where the angels they come down and interbred with people and 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 they're evil and this is the land he's living in so in ways he looks at society and he's he's afraid of it he's like god why have you called me here so he goes in and he sees these great kings in these kingdoms and and he's and he's afraid and his wife is very beautiful and he's like they're gonna kill me to get to her so he'll lie about who she is and then the people they go oh she's your sister not your wife so that means she's eligible to be married and so these kings would want to marry her and these people would want to take her and and when that happened they became an opposition to God's blessing on Abraham because that was Abraham's wife and God was going to protect and bless him but Abraham lied he didn't he, he was not an instrument of blessing to these kingdoms. Instead, he lied and he became a curse to them. And these kingdoms fell under curse. They became ill. Terrible things happened. And then they would find out the truth that Abraham had lied to them. And in my flesh, if, if, if I was them and I'd find out, I would want to kill him or something, but they didn't. Yes, they got mad at him. Yes, they said, why did you do that? But then the story says every time that happened, those kings blessed Abraham. They gave his wife back untouched and then they paid him all this money and stuff. Now they were mad and said, please leave. Don't ever come back um, because you've cursed us. But they blessed Abraham. Do you understand that? They blessed him because they did not stand in opposition and in return, God blessed them. He lifted the curse from them because they blessed Abraham. And so we see here that there's a principle. So if you and I think about eternal destiny and we want to receive from god we have to number one understand that we're called to leave everything behind and i don't mean you have to pick up and move to another country or something that's what i'm talking about i'm talking about your your old life your dreams your desires you've got to leave that behind for what god is offering you you know as a non-believer it means you got to leave your old old sinful life behind and put your life into Jesus. As a believer, we need to give up our hopes and dreams and ambitions. And see, that's scary. We want to hang on to those. But God says, leave it behind because he has a new life for you. He's got dreams for us. And as much as you think your dreams and your hopes are so wonderful, do you honestly think an awesome God who loves you and is totally good and only wants the best for you, that his dreams for you are worse? Do you honestly think that? that The thing you think less than that is to make God evil. And he's not. He's got good things for us. So we leave that behind, and God will make us into something better. He makes our character better. He makes our persons better. He, he makes our lives better, even in the midst of terrible circumstances. And then that gets into the blessing and the curse. God will bless us, but we need to be an instrument that can be played. In other words, we have to participate. We have to be responsible in faith and action so that, that blessing will manifest. And if we don't, we're actually spreading a curse. And you see, we see that much in the church. So much of the church has become so stagnant and is no longer an instrument that it's become a curse. And we've seen that in our nation. Why, why has abortion raged? Why does immorality flourish? It's, it's a curse and it's a curse because those with destiny have refused to be played. 
We don't want to be an instrument of God. And so we become a curse because we're, we're, we're not doing what God wants to do in society. And because we're in opposition to that, a curse goes out. And it's because of our lack of obedience. Let's look at another scripture about the sixth of Romans chapter four. Now, this is verses one through 17. It is a little long. I apologize. But I want us to look at it and see more about this receiving of blessing and cursing. So what shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then is it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received a sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that the righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of circumcision to those who are not only of the circumcision, but are also walking the steps of faith, which are our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made no effect. Because law brings about wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore it is faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only those who are the law, but also those who are the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations." In the presence of him who believed, God who gives life to the dead also calls those things which do not exist as if they did. Now, there's a mouthful, and that can get really complicated, and sometimes even reading it, you get tongue-tied, and you're like, what? What is this saying? What is this meaning? And I'm not going to do a verse-by-verse study, but I do want to highlight some things, because it's talking about what's all this circumcision stuff and Abraham and it's going into the, the giving of law, and Paul here, he you know, he was on writing, and he was fighting the people that believed you had to keep the law. It was to be a good person. So if you're a good person, God will bless you. And he goes, that's not what happened. Because when God called Abraham, there was no law. There was no Ten Commandments. There was no law given to mankind yet. God just came down and saw Abraham, and he saw Abraham's faith and called him. And so Abraham wasn't justified. He wasn't made right before God because of his works. He was made right because of his faith. And it was because of his faith, because he believed him, God gave him the, God gave him the, the thing about being circumcised. 
And I'm, if you don't know what circumcision is, Google it because I'm not going to talk about that here today because that's a side issue. But he, he would do this this circumcision, and it was a sign in his time that when everyone saw that, that's different. No one in the whole world did that. You know, what sort of a man does that to himself? And it was a sign that he believed, and he believed so much he was going to be different. In the New Testament, see something else happened that was sort of the same. We started doing water baptism. Started with John the Baptist, and and it followed through with Jesus. And what was that? It was a sign. Water baptism doesn't save you, but it's a sign of your faith that already did. In other words, you believe first, and then you you do this. That said, it's the thing that sets you apart that everyone sees. What you've done that you believe. See, people can't see your faith, but there's certain actions you do that allow them. I can see that action. And at the time of Christ, water baptism was a sign. You didn't do this unless you must really believe. And and we get in these religious fights over things. Today, so many people that were looking at the church and they're wanting, what's the sign that they can see you do this? You must really believe. You must really believe. Notice at the end of that, the world comments that, you know, Abraham was made the father of many nations because of people that believe. God calls those things which do not exist as if they did. That's what he's doing to us. One more scripture. John 3, verses 1 through 17. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. And Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you a teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man may be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So Romans and Paul talks about how it's faith in God that makes one right. And we see that our obedient response, it proves the sincerity of that faith. Obedience that does good things doesn't mean that we're a good person, therefore we earned it. It's it's a 
It's a response because we have faith. And here in John, you know, we're looking at Nicodemus, and this he's a man that is deep in the religious customs of the day. He is a Pharisee. He's on the Sanhedrin. He's a leader. He's a teacher. He is engulfed in the religion of the day. And here's Jesus, and he's completely outside the box. He's completely opposite everything this religiousness is. He's Jewish. He's completely Jewish, and he's 100% in keeping and fulfilling the law, but yet he's completely outside the religious norm. And it's because of this Nicodemus goes at night because the religion that he's trapped in will not allow him to openly talk about this. You know, I sometimes say things about the church. I love the church. I love believers. But there are some that are in such bondage to religion, you can't hardly talk to them about the spirit and the good things of God because it doesn't fit their religious paradigm and they're in bondage. You know, it's, it's just Im- impossible, though, for Nicodemus to ignore this. He can't ignore Jesus. Why? Because he's seen the display of power. He's seen the display of the Spirit's power. That's one thing that I've seen um, with with some religious people. You get around them, especially those that don't believe in the gifts moving today, cessationist. Nothing, nothing makes a cessationist more mad than him witnessing a miracle. When he witnesses, you know, they get mad. I don't believe in tongues. So I pray in tongues and I lay my hands on a person and they're, they're, they're suddenly healed. Something supernatural, a miracle they can't deny occurs that just ticks them off. They get, they get so mad, except some of them, they see that. And something in their heart, see, they, they have faith. They really do have faith in God. And they see that they, they don't want to operate within the religious paradigm because they're, but they'll come to you on the side. They come to you in secret. That's what Nicodemus does. He's come in secret because he wants to understand. He wants to know how he can break out of these religious rules and what his spiritual power is about. But he's afraid. And so when he comes, he, he tries to, Let's talk religion, Jesus. Let's let's try to. Nicodemus wants Jesus to tell him how to make this happen in his theolo- theological box, within the matrix of his denomination. We'll say, you know, we'll call the Pharisees that, like a like a modern day denomination. He's wanting to make this fit, and Jesus, he doesn't play that game. He immediately goes right for the heart. He goes for the heart answers. You know, he's like, you got to be born again. Nicodemus doesn't get this. Like, I'm an old man. I can't crawl up in a womb. Because he, he's still operating in a bad paradigm. And Jesus begins to explain to him this new paradigm about being born of the Spirit, being born of water. He tells him, if, if I'm telling you earthly things, it, being, being born is an earthly thing. If I can try to explain to you about being born in the God's kingdom, and I'm trying to use earthly terms so you understand me, if you still can't understand me, then how can you understand spiritual terms? Because spiritual terms aren't with human words. They're spoken through God's spirit to our spirit. It's not in English. It's not in Greek. It's not in, it's not in human words. So if you can't understand the physical things he's using, how can you really understand what the Spirit is saying? Well, you can't. 
Well, how do you understand? How do we receive these things? And of course, you know, Jesus, he, he tells us. He tells us, because he, he, he's telling Nicodemus, you're a teacher and you don't know this? You don't know these things? And of course, he gives one of the most famous verses in the Bible now. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And really, the next verse is just as powerful. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. You see, God's not angry at us. He, There is a wrath of God stored up for sin and for those who reject him. But his heart is right now, he wants to save us. He's not here to condemn us. And how is he going to save us? How is he going to, he, he's going to save us by work that he's done. I don't have to work to be a good person. He is a good person. What do I have to do to receive that? Now, I'm speaking to believers. And, and if you're a believer, you understand. You've, you've received salvation. You understand that. But to receive an eternal destiny, to receive what God has, is no different than salvation. You want to be filled with the Spirit, never been filled with the Spirit before? It's the same as salvation. It's by faith. You believe. It's not something you have to work to achieve. You believe it. You receive it. And when you, to, re, to receive it, when you receive it, it's just like Abraham. There's a leaving involved. You have to leave some things behind. You want to be filled with the Spirit? You got to, again, you, you have to give up your wishes. You being filled with the Spirit means to be directed and empowered, directed by God, not directed by yourself. You've got to let yourself go. You've got to leave your old life behind. That's and and you believe God and you you follow his destiny, his life, his plan for you. That he will make you something great. Like when he saved you, he he made you, he saved you from being a sinner. And he turned, he he cleansed you of your sin. That makes you a saint. He's he's calling you. He doesn't want you just to sit in a pew and in a church. Throw your money in a bucket. Maybe help with the bake sale. He has more than that for you. He wants you to be an impact to your family, to your community, to your to your church body. He's calling you to be something greater than that. Don't say yes, but I don't read well. I don't speak well. I don't do things well. I'm too young. I'm too old. No, he's going to make you great. He will do things in you that you don't think you can do. Because that's what God does. And you're to be an instrument that he will bless others. Let him play you. Because when we don't let him play us like an instrument, we're a curse. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today, God, that you're calling us to be a blessing, God. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that those who are listening will receive this, God. They will receive from you, God, destiny, eternal destiny. You've called them to be saved. You've called them to make a difference. You've called them to be a great people. God, you've called them to be a blessing to nations, God, and that you will curse those who oppose your move, God. Don't let them be a curse in life, God. Let them be a blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope this word for life has encouraged you today. 
We ask that if you want to listen to more, you can check out our podcast on our website at www.christianimpact.net. If you want to know more about our ministry, our training opportunities, well, what it is that we, we have, feel free to check that out also on our website. And until next time, God bless. Oh.